This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A good Monday to you on this uh, September 12th already. Jesperson here with Hicks in just a second. Charles Adler and then death educator Jeremy Allen a little bit later Ooh. on in the show. Expecting a powerful conversation. You want to get right to something heavy? Uh, Jeremy reaches out to us. He was on the show in past, I think about a year ago. You, mm-hmm. you can check out what he does at deathed.ca. What does a death educator do? We'll talk about it. He reached out. He said, I know that people's hearts are heavy. With the tragedy that happened in Saskatchewan, James Smith Cree Nation, mm-hmm. uh, obviously one of the worst, uh, I mean, you know, mass killings in Canadian history. People don't know how to deal with that. People don't know how to manage their grief. He says, and then people, some people will be feeling unfamiliar sort of, you know, I mean, grief around the loss of Queen Elizabeth II. Not everybody, but he says some people that have obviously never met the Queen, didn't know about the Queen, they'll be, they'll have heavy hearts. And he said, we can talk about these different things, navigating the the personal and then navigating what might not feel personal, but still would qualify as grief and loss and how to talk about it and figure it out. So I'm talking to him last week. Mm Mm-hmm. I say, we'd love to have you back on the show. I said, I think it's especially pertinent uh, in light of what happened in Saskatchewan in particular. People are are destroyed. People's hearts are shattered. Absolutely. And then over the weekend, Jeremy posts on his Instagram, his dog, his bulldog of 13 years, Brian, they saw him cross the Rainbow Bridge this weekend. And he puts this post out. I'm in tears reading this post. I'm a dog guy. I don't think you have to be a dog person, but if you are, it'll hit you especially hard talking about how this 13-year-old bulldog just was like the most remarkable family member, the most remarkable best friend that a guy could possibly have. I reached out to Jeremy yesterday. I said, hey, are you still I, like, are you still up for coming out to talk about grief and loss? He says, let me tell you what I love talking about grief. And then he gets into it. I went, wow. So this is going to be a very personal conversation, expecting uh, nothing but real talk with Jeremy Allen. That's coming up in about a half hour's time. Pierre Polyev, the new leader of Canada's conservatives, King <laughs> Charles III, the new king of, of Britain and Commonwealth nations. There's a lot to get to. And then there's this big, I mean, Android users won't care about this. No. But iPhone users, today's a huge day as well. Enormous. What is this? This iOS 16? <laughs> you years? turn into the tech guy for this info, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I am turning to the tech guy. But for a lot of people, this is this is righting some of the wrongs or correcting some of the things people have been really it is. frustrated people about are with really their phones. excited. Uh, iOS 16 coming out, and you're going to be able to do uh, things you've never done before, like unsend texts, which we all do. We send Big. a text to the wrong person. Or uh, we send a text with spelling mistakes. You can now go in and, and, and long tap on the text and edit it. So now, you know, if you make a spelling mistake, uh, there's also going to be focus filters. So say, for instance, if, if I'm at work with you, yeah. I can only get texts and emails and notifications from you and the team here at Real Talk while I'm at work, which wow. is a big one. If you set that up. If you set that up. Right. And as well, uh, another one that I've been waiting for forever and I've been doing actually through uh, you know third-party apps is sending emails at times you want. So you can schedule, hey, I don't want to send this email now, but it's done. You do this all the time. I'm sure you write up an email and you're like, I yeah. want to send this in 15 minutes. You can now schedule that as well. You don't want to send an email at three in the morning. Exactly. But it comes you, across a little weird in a professional context. Exactly. You can write it at three in the morning. It'll send at six. It's exactly when you're on, too. Yeah. Three in the morning. 
<laughs> These are big, though, right? Especially being able to pull Huge. back a text message. How many people have been like, oh, no, when they send something? You know me. I'm horrible at my text as well. I always send you something, and then I'm like, you ast- sent me asterisk text- correction, asterisk correction, asterisk correction. You sent me text last week that you were meaning to send to somebody else about me. Now I can delete them. Yeah. Hey, they were L- bad. Luckily, they were positive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, you know who has, uh, you know, Full stock of these new iPhones. Speaking of new iPhones, you know where we're going with this. Charles Adler in two seconds. But right now, if, if you're looking to upgrade your phone, Westworld Computers is destination number one. You can check them out in person in our home city of Edmonton, the West End, or, of course, online at westworld.ca. Uh, they were available for pre-order on the 9th, and I know that some of you got in on that. You were in touch with us, and then available for delivery on the 16th. That's coming up. So this is the week you want to get in on the action you can confirm the release details with the team at Westworld. Uh, the place to get the newest Apple products, the sales and service side, Westworld has you covered for home and business. Find them online at westworld.ca. Hey, friends, you've still got time, but it's running out to get in on a chance to live in life-changing luxury. You can tour this year's Covenant Foundation Lottery $2.2 million dream home online at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You don't have to live in the city where the dream home is to qualify to win it. That's a big detail. So no matter where you're hearing real talk from, if you go online, you can pick up your tickets. It's not just the dream home, obviously. There's a ton of prizes to give away. Plus, you can feel good knowing that you're funding health care services at the Misericordia and Gray Nuns Hospitals for 30 years. The Covenant Foundation Lottery has been huge in having these Healthcare services delivered with continuity and, of course, with the best technology as well. We want our operating rooms, the palliative care centers, and everything else to be up to speed where they need to be. A big part of that is this lottery funding through covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You can also give them a call if you want to buy your tickets over the phone at one 944 2774 Is your backyard, the area around where you live, all covered, starting to get covered in the yellow leaves now? You're starting to feel the crisp autumn air in the morning? I love it. I love it, too. I left the windows open in the house over the weekend. Woke up to an icebox. I was like, oh, I think it might be time to change the habits a little bit. Eden Landscaping will soon be transitioning into their fall approach. That's when they start to, of course, not just wrap up the products, bringing outdoor spaces to life, but they start working with their clients, consulting on what spring's going to look like. A lot of these more ambitious projects take time to develop, right? You can check out their portfolio at landscapeedmonton.ca. There's sometimes the permits that go into the design. Mike and his team will work through your Pinterest board or the pages you've ripped out of landscaping magazines. However, you're storing your ideas and they'll get a plan in place for April or whenever they can get started. You can find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And a big shout out to our friends at Park Power. Hey, tomorrow we're going to be talking to an economist that's going to give us some real life, like ground level, average, ordinary citizen type perspective on cost of living and what's driving up inflation and everything else. Park Power's been here the entire time saying we know families are looking to save money. Why not compare rates today online? Whatever you're paying for electricity, natural gas, and internet, we can virtually guarantee you're going to be paying less when you bundle those services with Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider that gives back to nonprofits in their community. 10% of their proceeds from electricity go to charities where they live and work. How great is that? The promo code 2022-REALTALK takes $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. 
Every Monday, it's our absolute pleasure uh, to check in. We look forward to this all week with the Emmy Award-winning talk radio legend, uh, Charles Adler. And before we get to Chuck, I want to tee this up. The big story over the weekend was not that Pierre Poliev won the conservative leadership. Perhaps by how much? Was everybody that had called a Poliev win expecting nearly 70% right out of the gates? I mean, this was an absolute demolishment of the rest of the field, including former Quebec Premier Jean Charest. Uh, here's a portion of what Pierre Poliev had to say on the big victory night. Tonight begins the journey to replace an old government that costs you more and delivers you less with a new government that puts you first, your paycheck, your retirement, your home, your country. Charles Adler joining us this morning. A good Monday morning uh, to you, my friend. I don't suspect you're going to tell us you were surprised by, by any of this over the weekend. What about the margin of victory? It was huge. No, I wasn't surprised by any of it because we have been uh, told forever by informed people and we, we can talk about, you know, Polyev's charisma and Polyev's ability to connect. But we were told that the rest of them were dogs. And I love dogs. This is not to disparage dogs. But uh, they just were not strong candidates. They did not challenge uh, Polyev very much, very effectively in the debates. But most important, they did not have a campaign strategy, whether we're talking about the ability to communicate in the modern world, that is, digitally, on social media, and they did not, most important, they did not have ideas that electrified the so-called conservative base. And so Polyev had all of that. He had a professional campaign. It was well-funded. He had a digital strategy. Most important, whether you agree or I agree, irrelevant. A, a tiny percentage of the Canadian population has to agree for him to get that kind of mountain of a victory. Uh, he had, for those people who voted, he had a message. The message, and I want to get into sort of some of the meat of it, uh, I think landed with a lot of people. Um, I was a little surprised, number one. Uh, first first of all, let me break down the numbers because I've not laid it out entirely, okay? So Pierre Polyev takes over 68% of the vote. We'll call it 68, but a little bit more than that, actually. 16% of the vote to Jean Charest. So that's huge. Like a, like a 52-point spread between first and second is wild. Dr. Leslin Lewis, with a not insignificant 9% of that leadership vote uh, for the MP out of Eastern Canada, Roman Baber, 5%, and then Scott Aitchison with 1% of the vote. Uh, were you a little surprised by the showing of, of Aitchison? I, I just say, like, anecdotally, so take it for what it's worth. I was hearing from a lot of my friends, Charles, that he was their number one choice. They were looking at this, saying maybe maybe they weren't charade voters. They thought Aitchison had these, as they say, prime ministerial qualities. He seemed to have a moderate or reasonable message. Was that his problem? Well, that, but that, that, that's what gets us to the crux of this. We could uh, get into the percentages. It's actually uh, more onerous for Aitchison and the rest uh, than it looks because while uh, 68% is the point totally got because they had a point system, 100 points for every a single writing, and he won more than 90% of the writings. Yeah. Uh, he actually, in terms of the actual vote total, he won more than 70% of the vote. Jean Charest, the, you know, the number two, the silver medalist, as it were, only got 10% of the actual numbers of ballots. Uh, Polyev was able not just to sell uh, memberships to hundreds of thousands of people, he was able to close them. In other words, about 90% of the people he sold to actually voted. 
And there was this notion that that wouldn't happen. There was also this notion that because Jean Charest from Quebec, uh, he would do well in Quebec. Polyev creamed him in every single region, and yes, he creamed him in, in Quebec as well. And we talk about moderates like Ageson. Okay, so I'm technically, you know, I check off the boxes as a moderate conservative. The, the, the moderate conservative horse left the barn a long time ago. Mm. Moderate conservatives were not voting in the numbers, I mean, not even close to the numbers, that more conservative conservatives, let's just call them, you know, populist uh, conservatives, okay? They're the people who are running the party, and now they're the people who are governing the party. And one of the good things about all of this, not that I'm a, a follower of Polyev, I'm a follower technically on social media, not that I'm a supporter of his, but I, I do support reality. You know, my feet are planted firmly on the ground. And what this tells me is that there is no need for moderate conservatives to keep wishing and hoping, crossing their fingers, uh, having their thoughts and prayers along the lines of, of the Conservative Party going back to a progressive Conservative Party. It is not happening, and it's not happening, not because of polyev and conspiracies and evil forces. It's not happening because this country's conservative community, okay, is not moderate. And just as the liberal community in this country is more to the left of where they were 10 or 15 years ago, so is the conservative. So we have the this, this notion that the people of this country are moderate. Well, they may be but not the people who get involved in elections, not the people who get involved in, in retail, everyday, hardball politics. The people who get active in politics in this country mm. are not as moderate as they used to be, whether we're talking about the left or the right. I want to bring that up again in a few minutes when I when I ask you for your take on uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau's announcement to his cabinet last week that he will seek a fourth term. He announced early, before Polyev was confirmed, as leader of Canada's Conservatives, that he'd run again. But let's get to Pierre's acceptance speech, so to speak. You know, I think most people are expecting him to to swing his tone back to the moderates, back to the middle, uh, to try to legitimately compete in and win a general election in 2025 or before. Maybe that started on Saturday night, where he offered this to the crowd in attendance as he accepted the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Small government makes for big citizens who own their homes, build their dreams, raise their families, look out for their neighbors, and earn powerful paychecks and savings free from inflation and overtaxation. We will restore Canada's promise in a country where it doesn't matter who you love or if your name is Smith or Singh, Martin or Mohammed, Chang or Charles, a country where the dreamer, the farmer, the worker, the entrepreneur, the survivor, the fighter, the ones who get knocked down but keep getting back up and keep going can achieve their purpose. A country where the son of a teenage mother adopted by two teachers can dare to run for Prime Minister of Canada. Absolutely. In the words of the great Canadian Prime Minister John Diefenbaker, I am a Canadian, a free Canadian, free to speak without fear, free to worship God in my own way, free to stand for what I think right, free to oppose what I believe wrong, free to choose those who shall govern my country, this heritage of freedom I pledge to uphold for myself and all of mankind. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. 
There you have it. That's Pierre Polyev, that video courtesy of CPAC. Charles, no mention of the World Economic Forum, no mention of vaccine <laughs> mandates, no no, no mention of Klaus Schwab. No, you know no. what I'm getting at. No, no, no. No, no, no. And uh, and the media, and I'm not a media basher because I'd be the ultimate hypocrite. You know, we're, we're working in a glass house here. Uh, but the media is, is definitely giving Polyev a honeymoon. Very little of the, um, you know, repertorial, very little of the, the, you know, the, the straight journalism re reporters, very few of them are, are pointing out all of the things that galvanized the uh, Polyev campaign, that cemented it to, to the hearts of the truckers and the other activists. Uh, you know, he, he left all of that out. I mean, the, the, if, if anyone tuning in today thinks that uh, uh, the, the truckers, the, the convoy, the anti-vaccine mandate people, conspiracists, if, if anyone thinks that any of them got wedded to Pierre Polyev because he quoted John Diefenbaker. <laughs> Sorry, that, that, is, that, is, that is not happening. I, I've got to say, just to, to bending over backwards here to try to be as, uh, as positive as possible, to give the devil his due and, and all of that. Uh, the speech was very effective. Uh, the rhetoric was very powerful. The one question I have for you, Ryan, is he keeps talking about how, you know, isn't it amazing that in this country, the child uh, of an unwed mother uh, who's adopted uh, can can make it to the prime minister's office? Uh, that, that's wonderful. But when when did people like you and me, we've been doing media for decades now. When, when did we disparage adopted children? Mm. And yes, children, children who are adopted are adopted. You know, and I don't even know. I can't remember the last time. I mean, I'm using the term unwed mother because that's what Polyev uses. I can't even remember the last time I used that term, but can you help me with this? Like, did, did this country discriminate against adopted children? Yeah, but no, and, and yeah, unwed mother is quite, I mean, that's, that's, that's powerful speech writing, but you gotta, you gotta know the room if you're going to drop things like unwed mother. I will say this though, Charles, uh, you know, uh, the, um, what is it? The, the tendency or the strategy of, of creating, and I don't want to say victimhood. I think that that's a little, it's, it's, I could find a better word than that, but, but like to, to establish that we are swimming against the mainstream, right? That we are overcoming. We are the ones being laughed at. We are the ones being underestimated. We are the ones being mistreated. We are the ones being ignored, right? By Ottawa, by Trudeau, who hates, who hates Alberta, who hates oil and gas, who hates, it doesn't necessarily rely on, accuracy so much so as the power of that prose right to create a community to rally people to ignite people's interest in politics which he's clearly done well every I mean, like i said I, I when i put myself in the position of someone who has never lived in this country if they're listening to this they do get the impression that this is russia they, they do get the impression that this is a china or a north korea or a, a country where you know we're shackled uh, where where dreams uh, don't come true, where entrepreneurs can't survive. I hate to make this about you, Ryan, but for for Christ's sake, you're an entrepreneur and you're thriving. And uh, what's Justin Trudeau doing to, to stop you and your wife and everyone who's associated with you, including your wonderful sponsors? What's Justin? I mean, this is not me apologizing for Justin Trudeau. This is not me, you know, licking his boots, uh, being a sycophant, being a Mike Pence. But what the hell is the prime minister doing to stop Ryan Jesperson and his Relay Corporation from thriving? 
Yeah, but what is know, he doing? But as soon as you start asking that question, you will be dismissed, as you know, as a Trudeau apologist, right? Like it's 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 just he he's communicating in in, in an intelligent not an, he's communicating in an effective way. Uh, describing it, for example, we will fight back against Justin Trudeau's inflation. Now, of course, the inflation is not limited to Canada. The inflation is not limited to, right, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's resonating with people that are going to turn out and vote. And, and the oh. bet is on his team's camp that it'll work. I, I, absolutely. I, I'm not I'm not saying it's not resonating with the camp. It's like when people say, well, you know, if you if you send that tweet out, you're going to get a mountain of replies. They're going to ratio you. Well, I, I don't care. You know, I know you I, don't. I've had some success in my life. I've got some confidence and I don't depend on on, on the bots and the, the people who might as well be bots. Uh, you know, the buffoons. Uh, don't, I don't need their affirmation. I don't care if they, they want to ratio me. So in, in this situation, I don't care if the people who understand much more about economics uh, perhaps, and then the average person who's who's feeling uh, grievances and and feels put upon by Justin Trudeau, I don't, I don't care if, if if I perceive reality differently than they do. I mean, uh, you know, once again, you and I would be in god awful, terrible condition, and this podcast would be in terrible shape if we honestly felt honestly that we can't survive, we can't make it, we can't put food on the table, uh, we can't have Christmas until Justin Trudeau is no longer in Ottawa. I do think it's a ridiculous proposition. And I do think it's a ridiculous proposition to say that inflation is all Justin Trudeau's fault. He may have a piece of it. But this idea that Justin Trudeau is in his basement with this this printing press turning our money into shit. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just that's just frankly, that's that's stupid. And it is stupid to think that Justin Trudeau is creating inflation all over the world. And I don't even want to get into the the, the fact that in percentage terms our inflation is not nearly as bad as it is in Britain, not nearly as bad as Germany, not nearly as bad as a lot of other countries. And by the way, if the inflation is terrible in, in, in Britain and, and Germany right now and, and the Netherlands and other parts of Europe, I would think that any Pierre Polyev, let's call them, uh, you know, right wing, any right wing populist that comes along and blames the chancellor of Germany or blames the prime minister of Britain for all of that. I think that would be equally ridiculous. We, we know what is driving inflation in many parts of the world. It isn't them and it isn't Justin Trudeau. And I would dare anyone who wants to be a supporter or a lapdog or whatever, a fan of Pierre Polyev to tell me what Pierre Polyev would have done if during COVID-19, more than five or six million people would have been unemployed without money, without benefits, without all of that, what, what the so-called money that got got printed, the money supply that got expanded, essentially is what we're talking about. What would Pierre Polyev have done as, as prime minister? Would he have just given 5 million Canadians the cold shower? Would he have just said, you're on your own because that's uh, that's fiscally conservative and I don't want to take any kind of risk on creating inflation and expanding the money supply? You know damn well he wouldn't have done that because the country would have gone down the tubes. You assert that you don't really care what the trolls say on Twitter, and you proved it no, this weekend. I, no, you're, I don't. That's why you're my favorite follow at Charles Adler. A guy by the name of T Terry comes at you and, yeah. and describes one of your messages as another retread ready for retirement. He says Canada's waking up. Pierre Polyev's message rang true to a lot of Canadians. Terry's right about that. I don't want to read your words. I want you to read them because I want to hear this 
hilarious tweet in your voice. For those listening on the podcast, Chuck, would you run through your response to Terry? This was the most poetic thing I've seen in a while. Johnny, let's put right. it up on the screen for Charles right, here. Put it back on the uh, screen for me, John, and I'll be happy to to read my my, my words. I mean, I just I, I got this, <laughs> and I just do spur of the moment, just as I do when Ryan's talking to me. So I quite spontaneously responded to Terry's business about me being ready for re retirement and, and all of that. I just said, hey, Terry, life has been good. I've been able to turn down jobs many are desperate for, propping up political sailors like the one anchored to your illusions. So good luck, my Canadian friend. Hope the new skipper sails your leaky vessel to imaginary places you have never known. <laughs> and that's why you won an Emmy. So here's the question. Uh, Pierre Polyev still got some time. He wasn't named leader on the eve of the writ dropping. There's no federal election campaign right now. For so long as Chuckmeet Singh and the federal NDP prop up this liberal government, Pierre Polyev's going to have to maintain this momentum for probably a couple of years, which is, is no small task. The prime minister confirming last week, Charles, he's going to try to stay on, become the second Canadian prime minister in history to be elected for a fourth term. Uh, Stephen Harper tried to do it, couldn't do it. Jean Chrétien wanted to do it, couldn't do it. Others have tried or wanted to in recent memory. Trudeau says he's going to. So how does this shape up over the next couple of years considering this dynamic? Well, thank you, Edison. I'm not trying to rationalize as somebody who's... Uh you know, perhaps a spinning a little bit. But ask yourself this question. If you're uh, the leader of the national government, if you're uh, the prime minister, and you have done this uh, deal with uh, Jagmeet Singh to prevent you from uh, going down in flames uh, when some parties decide to uh, do a non-confidence vote, and you want to keep this thing going for at least another two years, what are you going to do with the question? Do you plan to remain prime minister? I mean, imagine if he had given the different answer. Imagine if he had said, well, you know, I mean, a year from now, I'll, I'll, I'll rethink this. You know, every Christmas we kind of visit uh, uh, the future with the family at our, our kitchen table. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll visit this again in six months. I'll visit this again uh, in a few months at Christmas time. And I'll visit it again at the, in Christmas of 2023. What would have happened, Ryan Jesperson, if Trudeau had given that kind of what I think most Canadians would appreciate as a fairly realistic answer? You tell me. I'll tell you what would have happened. Uh, the, the, the headlines would have been Trudeau's leaving. The headline would have been there's a leadership convention on and every single rumor would have become a fact. And it would have been, well, is, is, is Christian Freeland going to get it? Is Anita Anand? Is the uh, former Bank of Canada uh, governor, is, is he going to come in? And it would have thrown everything into disarray. It would have been impossible for Trudeau to get any kind of support for any kind of agenda because all of the commentators including perhaps you and me were saying well it doesn't really matter what he's saying we know that he's leaving yeah well he's not actually leaving but he's he said he's thinking of leaving you, you, you can't do that you have to offer people a certain amount of moral certainty to have credibility so is the election the next election two or three years away probably is justin trudeau going to be the leader two or three years from now the only honest answer I can give you based on my experiences, I don't know. But I do know this, uh, nailing it down today and saying he will definitely in two or three years time uh, try to do a Wilfrid Laurier when it hasn't been done since the days of Wilfrid Laurier. And that's before the iPhone, people. That's way before the iPhone. Wilfrid Laurier is a long time ago. So the idea that it's absolutely certain that Justin Trudeau will try to do Wilfrid Laurier. Sorry, I I'm agnostic on that. Okay. Britain as a new king, and uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you uh, since 
we learned that uh, Queen Elizabeth II was under what they called medical supervision. We dedu- deduced the obvious as, as family members raced to their, be with her at, at Balmoral. And, uh, her, her casket moved uh, to Edinburgh. Uh, this uh, now it's still taken a second to get used to talking about things like the court of King's bench and, and long live the King uh, uh, Chuck. But this was uh, as a matter of fact, just a, this God, is God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As yeah. My fellow as my fellow Canadians. I, I know God, I'm getting on. I'm calling King. God save. <laughs> the king god save the king there you are so so here he is here is uh king charles the third my mother gave an example of lifelong love and of selfless service my mother's reign was unequaled in its duration its dedication and its devotion even as we grieve we give thanks for this most faithful life I am deeply aware of this great inheritance and of the duties and heavy responsibilities of sovereignty which have now passed to me. In taking up these responsibilities, I shall strive to follow the inspiring example I have been set in upholding constitutional government and to seek the peace, harmony and prosperity of the peoples of these islands. So, uh, transition, uh, to say the least, uh, for most people walking planet Earth, uh, Charles, the only British monarch they've known is the Queen. Uh, How do you think folks' relationship, including Canadians, and again, I'm asking you to characterize 35 million people uh, in a few sentences, but, but what changes with Charles with regards to people's allegiance to or perception of or connection to the monarchy, what do you think? Well, you know, the, the fact is, uh, it, it feels like we haven't even had Charles as the king for five minutes. It feels like we've had the queen uh, all of our, our, our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us who remember the days of uh, Diana, and many of us do remember, uh, know how most of us felt about Charles. In fact, we know how most of us felt about the queen, and it was not exactly positive. The idea, though, I mean, I'm always trying to, to focus on, on ideas as opposed to just, just people, because the ideas they represent, uh, you know, even Charles. Charles today, speaking as a king, I do think has, has more impact than he did just a, a week ago. Sure. So when it comes to the queen, I think about the idea of uh, honor. I think of the idea of duty. I think of the idea of service and, and lifetime service. And I ask myself the question, you know, uh, those time-tested virtues, uh, do we not respect that? You know, we get cynical, sarcastic, and, and all the rest of it over the years, and we certainly don't expect it from politicians. You know, it's just from regular retail politicians. We just expect them to say whatever they need to say that because they're targeting a certain group and they're pandering or targeting that particular group. Uh, and so everything is transactional and everything is very temporary. There is something about the Queen and there's something about certainly the, the lifetime of service that she was offering that gives people a sense of stability, gives people a sense of order. And I, I realize she's, she's foreign born, you know, she's not born in Canada, so how can she be the queen of Canada? I, th- those things don't mean uh, very much to me. We are very much about peace, order, and good government. I think the queen has done a fantastic job of, of, of giving us a sense of that. And I think Charles can probably carry on and, and do the same. And Charles also is committed to a lifetime of service. How many people do you know in this life 
who have that kind of money. I'm not talking about, you know, a, a portfolio of, of just a, a measly 10 or $20 million. I think but, but Polyev has got $9 million. Yeah, that's, that's measly uh, compared to the royal family. They have billions of dollars. So how many people do you know who have billions of dollars and decide instead of just living in the lap of luxury all the time and paying no attention uh, to average people, certainly not going to meetings every single day and listening to just regular folks, you know, uh, not royalty, not blue bloods, and they do that. And I actually think, based on everything I know about people who have met the Queen, that she is a better listener than the, than the so-called non-blue bloods. And I have a feeling that Charles is doing the same. And I think that committing to a lifetime of service, very few people do that, and very few people with their kind of treasure do that. So yes, I treasure the royal family. I do study what colonialism was about. I do study the egregious behavior that has gone over, that has, has happened over the years in the name of the, the Commonwealth, in the name of empire. And I guarantee you, whether people like this or not, Charles is going to be offering a mountain of apologies in the next couple of years for the horrible way that the British empire behaved in Asia, in Africa, and elsewhere. And yes, that will also include, you know, just to bring it home to Canada, that will also include whatever connection that it was between empire and what has been done to our indigenous peoples. Mm. I expect a mountain of apologies from Charles. It'll be very, very difficult for people to call Charles an oppressor. I know, you know, Pierre Polyev wants to call, uh, you know, Trudeau a tyrant and oppressor. I doubt that Pierre Polyev will call Charles an oppressor. But just objectively speaking, it'll be very, very tough to see Charles as a person who's trying to oppress the people of India and the people of Pakistan and the people of Africa and all the other people. So I'm not trying to diminish anything that's gone on, uh, behavior by colonials, by, by colonialists, uh, whether they're Dutch or French or Italian or 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 God knows even Americans at times. There it is, my, my brothers and sisters in the United States, I love you dearly, but uh, some of the US colonialism has been horrible as well. I, I, I understand that and I, I take it seriously, but I don't take seriously the idea that Charles wants to restore that kind of empire. Charles wants to restore colonialism and Charles wants to steal, steal treasure uh, from, from those countries. I do not, but for people who want to say that, I'm sorry, that's where I have to basically say uh, good luck with that. I know I have to let you go. Uh, we've got Jeremy Allen set to check in, uh, but you mentioned the United States. This is only speculation at this point have you seen this it's just a nine second video clip charles you've seen this what what some people are arguing appears to be the former president of the united states coming off a, a private jet wearing golf shoes uh under what appears to be potentially the supervision of law enforcement i'm not trying to turn this into something it's not he's not handcuffed obviously you can see his hand holding the railing as he steps into this suv but there there are rumors that that 45 was pulled off the golf course and, and, and transported to Washington, D.C. It's a developing story with very few details, but I don't want to have to wait a week to ask you about it till next Monday. So where, where's your head at right now on this? It's, it's just buzz and rumor right now. Look, I always love to put my biases right in the, in, in the, in the shop window for you. So, I mean, I have my fingers crossed that one day we'll see him perp walked mm. and see him in an orange jumpsuit. Okay. Cause I, I do see him as an unprosecuted, as an unindicted uh, criminal. That's how I see him. Is this particular incident about him uh, being told to 
to come to Washington and, and have some sort of um, chat uh, with people in authority. I really have no way of knowing, and I can't leap to a conclusion yeah. based on those visuals, but it certainly doesn't look like Donald Trump wants to be there. Yeah. And, and, and again, some, you know, wearing your golf shoes on the plane. I don't know. When's the last time you saw Donald Trump wearing white dress shoes? He's, he's not exactly Fred Astaire, right? Uh, Charles Adler every Monday right here on Real Talk. Before, 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 before we go, can I just say one thing? Because of, Whenever you want. Uh, what, that, because what we're getting uh, from, from the battlefield in uh, Ukraine yeah. slash Russia. Wow. Um, go, go Ukraine. Uh, we are with you. Um, and I, I love the fact that all of the pundits, including people writing for the, the, the New York Times, which I proudly subscribe to, and, and so many others who said this would be over in 10 minutes, it would be over in a couple of months. Uh, there's no way that the Ukrainians uh, could ever defeat uh, the Putin. Why even uh, tease them by, by sending them billions of dollars and all the rest of it? Uh, the, the people of Ukraine are hero heroic. Uh, their leader is heroic. Most important, the people who are shedding blood in the battlefield for Ukraine, that would be civilians who are being targeted by Russia and Ukrainian soldiers. Everyone involved in this fight for Ukraine is embarrassing the hell out of Vladimir Putin. And yes, I'd like to see uh, Donald Trump perp walked. But if I only had one choice between seeing Donald Trump uh, perp walked and wearing an orange jumpsuit or Vladimir Putin at the International Court of Crimes prosecuted as a war criminal, uh, with, with all due respect to the anti-Trumpers, and I guess I'm one of them, it's the latter that I take. I would love to see Putin in prison, tried for war crimes. He is, in our lifetime, one of the most vicious of war criminals. And thank God that the people of Ukraine believe 100% in their cause. Yeah, no kidding. We could talk for two hours every time you're here, Charles. We're so grateful for your time. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you again next Monday. Thank you, Ryan. You got it. You can follow Chuck on Twitter at Charles Adler. Yeah, that's a wild story. But uh, Ukraine, uh, its military reclaiming what's rumored to be about 3,000 square kilometers uh, since their counteroffensive began in early September. We're seeing images, remarkable images. I'm sure you're seeing them, too, of, of Russian military equipment, including tanks just abandoned, Russian troops fleeing. Uh, and, and Charles briefly touched on Pakistan as well. We want to let you know that we're working on uh, coverage as well. We're going to discuss that like a third of that country is underwater. The worst flooding uh, that that country has ever seen. Uh, 30 million people, like virtually the population of Canada is displaced right now without resources. It is uh, a story demanding global attention and uh, just a horrific scenario there. There's so much going on in the world around us. It's why we do this show daily and we're so grateful that you join us uh jeremy allen uh with real talk boy oh boy in just a moment uh, jeremy's a death educator and a really remarkable guy he's about to get very personal and i'm grateful for it these conversations happen because of sponsors like friesen brothers committed to real talk from our very first show friesen brothers for more than 65 years still family owned operating 16 different locations across the province of Alberta. A couple of things we want to put on your radar. Five and six days from now. So September 17th and 18th at select stores and all-you-can-eat medieval feast. If you've not been to a Friesen Brothers kitchen, if you've not experienced their hot, fresh meals, you really have to. Friesen Brothers will blow your mind. You have your sort of traditional understanding of what a grocery store is. This is not 
that. Uh, check him out online at Friesen.com. $25 all you can eat for those medieval times feasts. And of course, the first of every month, 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. Alberta grown and Alberta owned. At Apex Automation, they are bringing in the world's most talented engineers. I told you I toured their facility just last week, met a, a couple of uh, engineers, software engineers. They're working on the, the, these things that I can't even describe because I'm not smart enough, but these algorithms to help equipment automate in a potash mine. The mathematics that goes into it, just mind-blowing, but their team approach, they bring more to the table, Apex Automation does, than any of their competitors. They celebrate their people and the ability to save you your time. They're automating tasks, autonomous vehicles, distributed control systems, robotics, remote terminal units, so that the skilled workers in these workplaces can move on to more fulfilling tasks if you're looking for a career move, you want to go somewhere where your abilities and contributions will be valued, Apex Automation should be step number one. You can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. I've been talking to you lately about how much I've been enjoying this Ram 1500 crew cab that I've been driving. Whether it's our family on our way to Sylvan Lake for the weekend or getting the little guy to his first hockey tryout this weekend. That was this weekend, John. Boy, fall is here. A couple hours at the rink reminded us of that. Uh, Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, no matter the size of your family, no matter what you're getting around to, maybe it's just you, maybe there's 80 you, a vehicle that'll be the perfect fit. Maybe you need something to pull a trailer. Maybe you're looking to dial back your spending based on the price of gas. Uh, talk to our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They'll earn your business time and time again. That's why we're proud to do business with them. Our next guest uh, returning to Real Talk this morning, last time that uh, Jeremy Allen was here, a licensed funeral director and embalmer, uh, the brilliance behind deathed.ca. We talked about gleaning a better understanding of, of grief and loss and mourning and, and how it contribute uh, to finding a sense of direction. Our nation mourns. Last week, of course, one of the worst mass killings in our country's history on the James Smith Cree Nation in Saskatchewan. You add on to that a different story, but for many people, the emotional heaviness that comes with the passing of the queen. And then you got your own stuff going on. So what can we learn from it? How do we move forward? What is real talk about grief and loss look like. We're grateful that Jeremy Allen has agreed to join us again on what I know, Jer, is a, a, a painful time for you personally. I let the audience in on a little bit of what your family experienced over the weekend. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, yeah I feel like I will begin very much in the same spaces um, that the last time we connected, which is just gratitude, just the opportunity to... Um, to have a seat at the table and, and just to let um, just to allow grief to, to be present in, in these spaces. So it's, it's an incredible privilege. So thanks again for having me. Yeah. You will. I want to talk about big picture stuff um, and, and how we grieve as a nation, how we grieve collectively, how we grieve uh, personally um, and some insights. Uh, I know this is what you do professionally, but over the weekend you shared with us by way of your Instagram account at deathed.ca that you and your family said, in your words, sayonara to your trusty friend, Brian. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Jerry, your Instagram post actually brought me to tears, but why don't you tell us about it? Why don't you tell us about your weekend and, and about Brian? Yeah, uh, I, I will. 
I will lead with uh, the excruciating vulnerability that comes along with telling these stories because uh, I think it's how we genuinely honor the emotion that comes along with losing people or things that we love. And so uh, <clears throat> our, our Bry guy uh, has been with our family since before we were a family. Um, 13 years ago, Bailey and I uh, collectively made the decision to make a move to this small town in rural Alberta for me to pursue this dream of owning a funeral home. And in the, in the steps of that, we were also planning our wedding, which seemed like the logical time to introduce a pet into our, uh, into our growing dreams and family. Yeah. And so just in those, in, it was, it was before all of that, uh, we, we got Brian. And so Brian is, uh, you know, was our, his middle name was Richard because he was known to, you know, be a bit of a Richard cranium at times. And so he, uh, <laughs> and, but like, he just, he was stubborn and he was a bulldog, but he was like, he, he was a part of who we all became. And, uh, and so, so just through these experiences of him being the one that kept Bailey company until she could join me in Provost and, and being there to greet each of our kids, you know, as we brought them home from the hospital and, and like he was just like this solid 70 pound very strong dog in his health that just like softened up and just like he just reminded us of like the nanny dog from peter pan with our kids like he just like you know he laid next to their cribs didn't want anything to do with them but just needed them to know that they were safe and yeah. uh, and so so it's just like you know it's it's relationship based of course right and so when we uh you know, Brian had a string of bad days and we got to the space of about needing to, you know, make this decision for Brian that it was, uh, it was time for us to say sayonara. And, um, and that, you know, that's a pretty thankless decision to have to make. Um, but it's also, I think one of the things that I'm learning is it's just, it's a genuine act of love. And, and so through all of this, we just had the opportunity then to like, you know, create a, a meaningful goodbye for Brian we lit a fire in the depths of the summer heat in our house so it was you know pretty uncomfortable but like that's how he liked it. he liked the heat he had some yogurt he had some peanut butter he was surrounded by all these kids that he helped raised and uh, and then collectively as a family we made our way to the vet who walked us uh, walked alongside us in those steps of of saying goodbye to him mm. and um, and I think you know the things that I'm grateful for as a part of this experience is I'm grateful for, first of all, the things that we learn from meaningful relationships. And I definitely believe animals teach us a lot about meaningful relationship because they are, in my opinion, you know, always without judgment or expectation of us. And so uh, of course, I have a lot of gratitude for Brian, but specifically about this experience, the thing that that I learn and the thing that I end up being able to teach about is I'm also very grateful that we had this opportunity as a family to do this, you know, where we looked at our individual kids, you know, our, our oldest daughter, Harper, is almost 12 and our, our middle daughter, Dylan, has just turned 10 and our son, Bowen, has just turned six. And, and we, you know, specifically 
included them and gave them the choice in how they were going to participate in, in how we said goodbye to Brian. Hmm. And so, and that's, I think that's such a big deal for, first of all, it's, it's also, you know, not me specifically, but I grew up in an era that it was just like, like it's just a dog, right? You know, like where it's just like dogs just went away or pets just went away at some point in time. And, uh, and so I think first, like, you know, my Angelou says, we, we do the best we can until we know better, but then when we know better, we need to do better. Well, we know better, like, you know, we, we know much better than that now. And so modeling that behavior for our kids, showing them that they have a say in their loss, that their loss is significant. And I think these are the things that we have the ability to pay much better attention to as, as parents and as people that have children in our lives, you know, that, that this is undoubtedly the most important relationship that my kids have lost in their lifetime. Mm. And so it's just pausing and acknowledging that prints it for them, but like acknowledging it and then finding the appropriate ways for them to be included. And that becomes so important because the thing that I know is my kids will lose people that they love at a very high level. And these will absolutely be the experiences that they fall back on and help them recognize, you know, that they have a say in their grief, mm. you know, that they get to participate when people they love die. And, and it, you see it immediately in the way that our 12 year old was very outward in her mourning, you know, like that she wanted to be there with her head on Brian's head, as we said goodbye. And my middle daughter just wasn't sure if she wanted to be in the room. And we said, well, that's okay. But here's the thing I need you to know is whatever you choose, we support you. Mm. But no matter where you are, you'll be safe. Like we will be with you and, and this, you know, it's going to be really sad. And these are the things that I know about death, especially when we talk about grief attached death. Losing people we love, losing animals that we love is going to hold emotion, but it doesn't doesn't have to be scary. And so I don't want you to be scared about what happens when we're there. But if at any point in time, you feel like you don't, you can't be in there, then that's okay. Then you have our support, you know, and, and we'll make sure that you're safe. And then our son is, God, you know, bless his soul. Um, you know, he was just kind of along for the ride and that's okay too. You know, like he didn't have this type of relationship and, and like, it's just where he's at in his life is, but what, I love so much about him being included in the experiences, you know, it was in the moments afterwards where he came up and we actually just gotten home and, and he came and he said, you know, dad, I, I really miss Brian. And I said, yeah, me too, man. <laughs> and I said, like, how does it make you feel? Like, what's, what are you having a hard time with? He said, well, I've never seen mom and you so sad. Oh. Right. And the thing that's like so meaningful about that for me, number one, as you can see, I'm not going to hold back on the emotion of these Don't, experiences. Because, I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, but it's because like these are the things I want to normalize. Like this should be tough. Yes, it is emotional, right? You know. So, but like what I think is like I look at these experiences and then I I you know reapproach them through this lens of like taking these into tangible everyday lessons. Is imagine now like your 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 son watching two of the most important people in his life walk through something so difficult and not feeling like it's okay to talk about it. 
that that kid just goes to bed holding on to all of that emotion because nobody showed him how to talk about it. Right. I think like, so that is, I think that is why I just believe with my whole heart as we continue to learn to include children in these experiences, it is going to completely change the trajectory of how they walk through difficult things for the rest of their life. Like I, I just, I'm, Undoubtedly, no, our kids are equipped better for really hard things by having had the opportunity to be a part of this experience. And like that, that means the world to me. And, and that is just where it's just like, I look at that and it just, it just adds on to the thankfulness of, of all of the ways that Brian was a part of our life, you know, mm. and in, in all of the ways that, you know, my wife and myself and and our kids are feeling completely broken in parts of this experience you know i think those are also then the things that keep us grounded in a space of, of being able to say like you know as we move forward into the next parts of our life without you know the physical presence of brian um it's going to feel different and that's okay like we're not after this goal of it feeling the same and and i want to like make sure that i clarify you know that um in my role as a funeral director and embalmer and, and and mostly just in my role of being trusted to sit at the table and in in much more important spaces of people losing people that they love yes um i think it's just like again these become building blocks into the way that we learn how to practice the outward parts of our grief which is typically called mourning you know like how do we learn to to properly acknowledge and then engage in you know, where we, we do find opportunity, you know, to, to outwardly feel the emotion that accompanies grief. And yeah. it's a, it's a man, it is magical. Like, I mean, and, and it's just, I think the part of it that like, um, that again, like just brings me so much joy is, is grief continues to be the space that teaches me over and over and over again, that you can feel two contrasting emotions as a part of like one experience and, and oftentimes in grief at the same moment that we can, <laughs> you know, that we can be incredibly sad saying goodbye to Brian, you know, as we watch that kind of life slip out of his body. And in those moments, like completely grateful at the exact same time, huh. like that, those two completely opposite emotions are felt, at the highest levels simultaneously. Oh man. I mean, it hits on so many levels. Uh, if you're just tuning in, this is Jeremy Allen that's joining us. Um, this is such a meaningful conversation, Jeremy. <laughs> I, I was trying to prepare myself mentally to talk to you last night. I was talking to my wife and I'm laying on the floor in our family room. Um, and, and I've got my head on the dog bed and our, and our boxer Moses, he just turned 10 and he puts his paw on my arm, and I'm just like barely holding it together. And I've never even met your dog. I've never met Brian. I guarantee pet owners are hearing this, or maybe you don't even have to own pets to be moved by this. I mean, even our live chat right now, Rose says, thank you for sharing your story and your feelings. Rose says, I had to put my 19-year-old cat down when it was obvious she was struggling. It shocked me to feel so much pain for weeks after. Tracy says, pets are so important to us individually, to our families. Tracy says, you know, we have we've had cats, dogs, um, both of them, entertainers, therapists, friends. Marie's talking about having to make a decision to put her horse down. 
you know, I mean, uh, by the way, she says my sister uh, passed 19 years ago. I still grieve. Right. She says a song, a picture can trigger it. But I was talking to Carrie about about talking to you. And uh, Moses is still alive and well, to be clear, but he's struggling. He's aging. He's getting old. He's having a hard time getting up the stairs. I'm I'm already dreading, but I'm I'm cherishing every single second. But we think about it. Carrie said this last night, like Moses was part of our Moses is what made us a family. Right. We had Moses before we brought Wyatt home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, before that. Moses was there waiting for us when we came home from the hospital after losing a baby, right? Like Moses was there with us when we brought another dog into the family and, and he, and he <laughs> counseled and guided and raised that black lab puppy as, as the older uh, canine in the house. And, Mo- and Moses just recently helped us welcome another infant. He's seen the grief. He's seen the loss. He's seen the joy. He's been there when we've had career low lights. He's been there when we've had career highlights. I mean, they are undoubtedly, family members of ours and you know i'm, I'm going to share this with the audience i don't think you'll mind but i was messaging you last night just to make sure you're cool to come on and talk about I mean, we're about mm-hmm. to get really heavy and talk about saskatchewan um mm-hmm. but this establishes context i said i don't know if jeremy's going to feel like talking about grief and loss 24 hours after losing his dog of 13 years but you wrote to me this is one of the things i love about grief we experience loss to the level that we experience relationship. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think like when when we have these experiences and, and you know, I think like there's a few things that I just like wanna be, make sure are part of the conversation. You know, it's first of all, it's like when, one of my, you know, favorite quotes is, is you know, how lucky am I to have had something uh, to make, how lucky am I to have had that's something that makes saying goodbye so hard and you know so when we look at these relationships with you know like let's say specifically in the space of pets you know pets typically offer us the type of relationship like we will not experience anywhere else in our life you know it, it's a it's very unique and and it's very meaningful and, and again like just the acknowledgement of that and i feel like the parts of these things that like again become so important for me as a family um is I know that we're going to walk through harder things as our life goes on. And I, I want to just acknowledge like the vulnerability of, of sharing things like you first handedly know for you and Carrie the pain of what it is like to lose a child or to lose a pregnancy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get, I just look at, these opportunities of us including our kids in this and like how, what changes about an experience like that by having experience in, in environments of grief you know it doesn't reduce the pain it doesn't reduce the hardship of the experience but does it give us more predictable uh environments that we know how to communicate about it you know and, and i think that's what can become so lonely in environments of grief for whether it's for children or whether it's for you know us as we transition into adulthood that we all of a sudden go through these things that we never thought would be a part of our life. Nobody ever told us that when you went to have kids, it might not be easy. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever modeled the behavior that we may not be able to bring all of our kids home with us. And like, that's such a big deal. Right. And so, you know, all of this for me and all of these experiences, I think really come into the space of learning. What does it look like? to practice genuine empathy 
you know, and as we start to, I don't know if this is the appropriate time, like if it's okay to start to talk about the, um, the communities and the families that have just been so deeply impacted in Saskatchewan, um, genuine empathy to me is to be able to look at the entirety of that experience without judgment or expectation. Let's talk about at- let's talk about what you mean by that. And th- and this is this is, uh, I mean, aside from the development with your family over the weekend, and I'm so mm-hmm. grateful you're here to talk about it. It's I can tell it's resonating with a lot of people. We wanted to bring you on to talk about navigating this this sense of despair and hopelessness and heartache uh, around the the, the 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 loss of 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 eleven innocent lives, uh, eighteen more people at least injured here, uh, an entire. I mean, I mean, the, the James Smith Cree Nation shattered, obviously, the province of Saskatchewan, this entire country. And people people don't really it's 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 like what happens, you know, when there's a school shooting or something like this, where you just you don't despair is the only word I can think of, because you don't even know you can't wrap your mind around it. It's not like the queen at 96 years of age passes away. You know, it's, it's not that that's not sad, but it's not tragic. Uh, mm-hmm. This is horrific. This is horrific tragedy. Uh, how does an expert like you in death education counsel people to 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 start to navigate this? So again, like those are going to come down into those individual relationships, right? You know, so for let's say like let's start at at I'm going to call it the outside looking in. You know, like for the rest of the nation that is not directly, you know, a part of those communities but we're, we're reeling in the loss of everything that's happened, you know? And, and I think, so what to me, again, like I'm going to continue down this path because I think what it is, is it's really for me, when I, when I go through these experiences, it's almost like a state of discovery, like really trying to enter into this from a place of, okay, what are we experiencing? You know? So when I look at, let's say like from a nation, well, like we have this lost sense of security and we have this lost sense of future and we have this lost sense of community you know like we're just like all of these safety nets that have been in place for all of our life like they they feel like they have false bottoms to them when something so tragic happens and so i think a lot of us go through different types of loss um but i also believe that grief is our emotion emotional and behavioral response to loss not specifically to death so a lot of people are going to be grieving loss in a different context now when we start to tighten that radius and get closer to the james smith Cree nation you know their loss is terrific and like what an understatement you know and and i think like the loss of you know for these 11 families and and really for all of the families and one of the things that i you know i wrote openly about was you know also including in that grief the families of of the two men responsible for the killings Mm as parents, it's just, I just have an empathy immediately to, I don't know what my children will become. And I just know that any parent, anybody that introduces life into the world, there's just a, an instinctual connection that we have with them. And, and if that life ever turned into something that became destructive, would be an incredible loss before they ever died, right? So I think for me, just again, having these like continued spaces of, of empathy to me cannot have conditions. I cannot have genuine empathy for the families of the victims, but then have a boundary attached to that empathy for the people attached to the lives of the two men responsible. And so that to me is empathy without judgment or expectation. And, I, and you know, I think it's just continuing that investigation, you know, it's in, into ourselves, like such an inward process of like, 
you know, not just the people that died. Imagine, you know, like imagine surviving such a uh, tragedy. Imagine being one of the people that didn't die and how that changes the entire trajectory of who they become. Traumatized forever. Forever. I never enter into this conversation thinking we're going to roadmap our way to an answer. Right. All it is, is it's just to like, to bring these things to the surface, to allow us to have mindfulness of humanity. Like it is just like, what does it look like to be helpful here? Well, it is not going to be helpful if I bring in my own biases and my own experiences in a way that clouds, I'm going to communicate with you about a personal experience that you're having. It's powerful stuff. Um, but I'm so gr- I, I know for a fact, because I'm already seeing comments on our live chat, and I can't wait for this podcast to drop today because I, I know a lot of people need to hear this. And like you said, we, you and I don't try to roadmap our way to a solution or a conclusion today. We were going to gather in community. Uh, we were going to both commit to real talk. And uh, you've sure done that with your heart on your sleeve. Um, I I feel a heaviness and I also feel a release in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, I've I've been writing down words as you've been talking, just individual words, mindfulness, gratitude, empathy. Um, I think that these are things that that we would do well to to start every week uh, with an awareness of and a reset, almost a recalibration. And of course, you do this. Uh, week in and week out. I want to encourage people to follow you on Instagram at deathed.ca. That's also your website. People can learn more about what you do in grief and loss education. I know we've got to let you go because you're on your way to Manitoba. You're in transit as we speak. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm in Regina with poor internet. <laughs> it's it's all but, good. I just, I know we've got to let yeah. you go, but I don't want to leave something on the table. My, my worst nightmare is like, you know, we end the interview and you go, gosh, that one thing I really wanted to say, I didn't get a chance to say it. Is there no, anything you uh, want to leave us with? I don't want to cut you off. I'll end in the same way that I started again. It's just with complete gratitude. You know, I think like whatever the relationships are that we're grieving, you know, for for our immediate family right now, we're grieving the loss of, of something that was very important to us, which is, uh, you know, our, our pal Brian. And, uh, and any opportunity that we have to honor these relationships outwardly is an incredible privilege. So thank you for creating space for me. And also thank you for the trust of entering into the space of something, you know, very important, which is how do we as a community enter into empathy without bias, you know, yeah. and, and how do we, how do we start to approach these things that are happening around us, whether it is, you know, for the people that are, are connected to the loss of our, of the queen and, you know, and, and for all of the communities and all of the families that are, are just deeply impacted, you know, from everything that is happening within the province of Saskatchewan and, and beyond. Um, I just think we have such an opportunity to just show up as good human beings in those spaces. And, and it just takes a little bit of practice. Our thoughts will be with you this week, uh, you and your family, Jeremy, and, and thanks for doing this. You can find more about what Jeremy Allen does at deathed.ca. Safe journey, my friend. Awesome. Thank you again. See you guys. You got it. Empathy without bias. That's a heavy conversation, and I feel really good about it, and I'm grateful that that you real talkers are here to be a part of it. Brenda just says, you know, much love to you, right? Sharon's sister she's sharing with us is a death doula. What a calling. What a calling, a death doula to guide not just the people, but their families, their loved ones as well into that next stage. Lauren says, empathy is my favorite trait. Heavy stuff on a Monday morning, John Hicks. Grateful you're here with me for it. You don't have to be a pet owner for something like that to resonate, that that talk about what he and his family went through. But but Mm -hmm. boy, do we ever feel a connection to our pets as family members. I, I underestimated 
the connection one would feel with a pet until I had one. I didn't have mm-hmm. pets through my childhood. What? I mean, aside from fish and newts and things like that, which don't really count. Newts. Newts are cool little guys. <laughs> They're cool little guys. But but when you have a newt, you're just expecting it's just a matter of time before it gets away mm-hmm. or does its thing or uh, but but the, but the connection you feel with an animal, I really underestimated it until that became my personal experience. And now every time I hear about a family's experience, I just woof, well, yeah, just like, hits me. My wife, when her mother passed away, we got this this puppy about two weeks later, and it was the runt of the litter, little Priscilla. She's a chihuahua, and they were like, "We're gonna give you this puppy, but like we don't think it's gonna survive." So it's kind of like a miracle baby. Oh wow! Right? But it also like bridged this gap with her mourning her, her the death of her mother and so now her and this animal are just so connected right that i'm the same way i f- i feel very very scared like i feel grateful that th- they have this connection but i'm so scared for what's going to happen when this little dog passes away right yeah. so it's it's a weird relationship we have with pets like jeremy was saying where like you're so grateful, but you're so afraid yes. of the loss that is eventually going to come. Right? I can relate. Yeah, I can relate to that. It's amazing. And animals have this intuition too, right? You know, you hear about these, um, not just therapy pets. I think of even like when I when we took Wyatt, our, our little guy, he's seven years old now. We took him to get his his first uh, vaccine shot. Mm-hmm. And he was, he, was, he was actually like super cool with it and, and super okay right up until the point we got into like he sat down in the chair and then the nurse starts bringing over the cart and then he really started having a difficult time yeah and like i mean really having a difficult time with it and they brought over this therapy dog and this dog like sat down beside him wow. and it just calmed him down they're so it was yeah. incredible they like you hear on like on in you know, oncology wards and hospitals and things like that the mm-hmm. You know, in uh, palliative care centers and long-term care centers, uh, I mean, it's just amazing the the role that that dogs and cats, horses, other animals can play. You hear of these programs with like autistic children or children on the spectrum with Aspergers mm-hmm. and other, uh, and the connection that they feel with horses, oftentimes, and mm-hmm. what animals can bring out in humans that don't necessarily have like the greatest success in communicating with fellow human beings. They feel this connection to these animals and. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know that this is not the story that's like leading the headlines, uh, but this is real life. I mean, with the aside of, of obviously what's happening in Saskatchewan and the heaviness that I'm sure that you as a human being feels listening to this or watching this and, and what every Canadian no doubt feels uh, in that context. But, but these are the conversations we want to make sure that we bring you along with the political commentary, along with the news analysis. Community gathers here. If this has uh, struck a nerve with you or this has prompted... Uh, perhaps a story, a meaningful story you'd like the audience to hear. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I wonder if this might prompt next week's positive reflections. It will, I think. I think it might. Yeah, some, yeah, send us a some letter. Pet stories? Some Let it flow. Stories? Let it flow. Um, the live chat's really beautiful right now, and, and we sure appreciate that. Hey, hey, talking about the connection that we feel to our pets, um, you know, uh, our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food, they know it well. They know how people feel about their dogs and even their cats as well. Uh, they've got their quality raw cat food available on their on their website. You can you check it all out under the Shop Now link. Uh, this is a family-owned business, the Monsima family, really remarkable entrepreneurs, and their business is growing, which is better news for you. If you live in the province of Alberta, you want to be like our family and get your quality raw dog food delivered to your door after ordering it online. It doesn't get more convenient than that, and the health benefits 
of a raw diet. Uh, I mean, too numerous to go through in this mention. You'll have to go to granddog.ca and check it out. The About Us link, the Frequently Asked Questions link. And of course, they've got great resources on their Instagram account as well. Really informative stuff. Uh, the promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first order. You can get exclusive discounts by joining their mailing list as well at granddog.ca. At Local Environmental Services, it's not just garbage. (laughs) Not to them. They believe that communities deserve better. Better service, better prices, uh, more support for local causes. Let them show you how they can help by viewing their services today at localenvironmental.ca. You want to know who is local? Click the link on their homepage and, and get to know their team. There's a great video introducing the local environmental team and their core values Of course, Local Environmental presenting Trash Talk every Friday. You want to get something off your chest? There's no better way to do it than sending us an email. Trash Talk is presented by Local Environmental Services. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, as we transition from the summer into fall season, they're celebrating the pumpkin pie blizzard treat. That's right. It's the seasonal special at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount. That's our home, Dairy Queen and Baseline Road. They've also got the Score Caramel Brownie Cup Faction, which looks absolutely incredible. And and by the way, if you're big on the blizzards, have you signed up for the new DQ app yet? Uh, You can join the Blizzard Club. It's a buy one, get one free promotion. All of the details, of course, online, dairyqueen.com. When you visit the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, you make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. Well, the first show of every week, uh, we wrap with uh, a positive thought, with a a silver lining, with a story that has filled our bucket or maybe yours. It's presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Positive reflections this week submitted by Michaela, and we're grateful for that. Michaela, thanks so much. She wrote us a quick note that just said, like everybody else, I'm sad or She technically said, like most people, I'm sad about the Queen's passing. She said, but I found this story and I thought it was a perfect fit for positive reflections. Michaela, we agree. This is an amazing bit of art. This is one you've got to see. So if you're listening to the podcast, come check this out on YouTube. This is a sand artist uh, by the name of Claire Eason. Okay, this is Bamberg Beach in Northumberland, England. Beautiful beach, by the way. Well, Claire has a unique talent as a sand artist, and she said that she wanted to create a unique tribute to the Queen uh, depicting Her Majesty's postage stamp on her favorite beach. She says, I was I was filming this, and, and the, the tide came in, filming it with the drone, and I captured it just touching the image. And once she had completed it, it takes about four hours for her to pull off something like this. Her business is called Soul to Sand. John, a 65-foot image using rakes and other sand tools takes about four hours. She says as the tide was licking this imagery of the stamp, pun totally intended, she said it started to feel like a fitting farewell. She says the the first-class stamp, one of the most recognizable images of Queen Elizabeth II, she had been a part of everyone's life for so long, given us a sense of constant. And when that comes to an end, it's hard. Now, of course, the film will last forever, but the art itself only temporary. A beautiful depiction of the Queen's legacy and a wonderful 
and actually remarkable expression of one woman's tribute. Thanks to Michaela for submitting this. The positive reflection captured amazingly with that drone. You can send us your positive reflections through the week, anytime, to our email inbox. And don't forget, you can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to check in with an economist that's going to bring a real-life ground-level understanding of what's driving inflation and rising costs, and most importantly, the best way for us civilians to navigate it. Alexander Gaynor will be our guest. Coming up later in this week, we'll check in with Linda Steele and Jody Vance. Their brand new show on Check has just launched. And we want you to circle your calendars for Friday's show, September 16th. We're going to introduce you to the inaugural recipient of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. She's an amazing young person, and we can't wait for you to get to know her a little bit. Make it a great Monday, friends, and thanks for supporting Real Talk. We'll see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.